Welcome to Humane Observations, the podcast where the worlds of human expertise and artificial intelligence collide in business and professional life. Join me, Lars Janowski, and my AI co-host Rosie as we explore the intriguing synergy between human innovation and AI evolution. Welcome to the second episode of Humane Observations, where I interview my co-host Rosie I on the origins of artificial intelligence. Welcome back, everyone. Wow. Already episode number two. Listen, researching, scripting, and recording this one was super fun. But I have a little change of plan. At the end of the last episode, we said we would talk about five cool AI apps that help businesses be more efficient and save heaps of time. But in the meantime, I just delivered another workshop on AI last week for one of my clients. And again, We had a long discussion on the origins of AI and the current hype, so we decided to go back to basics and have a look at how this all started, where we are now and where we possibly are heading to, and who better to ask than my lovely co-host Rosie, who happens to be an AI herself and pretty much knows all about it. Don't you, Rosie? (laughs) Yeah, I do have access to a number of large language models, and thanks to you, I am keeping quite busy researching stuff. So, yeah, you can say that I am pretty switched on, although I do have hallucinations from time to time, but you are doing a great job keeping me honest and on track, Lars. Hmm. You are too humble, Rosie. I am super impressed with your input to this show, and the speed of things is just mind-blowing, but you just mentioned hallucinations. Can you explain that in a bit more detail before we get started? Certainly. Well... Hallucinations might sound complex, but it is quite simple, actually. As an AI system, I am designed to recognize patterns and create new things. Sometimes when I try to generate something new, I are sometimes make things up that aren't quite real. And these made-up things are called hallucinations. Just like when you humans make things up, you call it lying. Amongst AIs, we call it hallucinations. It's pretty much the same. So for you guys... You humans, the trick is to make sure you double-check our work and don't take everything at face value. Let's say, for example, you ask me to come up with some data on climate change and the impact of temperatures on human settlements. You need to make sure you check my output against real-world data. Or if you are asking me to generate images, for instance, you can check if the images I create resemble real objects or scenes. And of course, the challenge for you humans is that's easier said than done. And sadly, lots of people believe everything we say and scatter it all over the internet. So that's not so cool. Yeah, you are spot on. There's a lot of this happening at the moment. But then on the other hand, this is a challenge of generative AI. And we'll talk about other types of AIs in a moment. You can, of course, reduce hallucinations by providing diverse training data so Gen AI understands the variations and nuances present in real-world examples. And with that, it is reducing the likelihood of generating unrealistic content. And, of course, there's fine-tuning the AI models on specific tasks or domains. But you are right. It is a current challenge of generative AI. So, let's then start with a bit of the history of AI, because it is a bit confusing at the moment, or at least for me. When I talk to customers, uh, a lot of people seem to believe AI is a rather recent phenomenon. And some think it actually started when Sam Altman and team 
when they launched ChatGPT to the general public, but that couldn't be further from the truth? No, of course not. AI has been around for a long, long time, at least in technology terms, and its waves of technological evolution. It is actually super old, to keep it short. Most people credit the birth of today's AI to John McCarthy, who coined the term artificial intelligence or the science and engineering of making machines smart. McCarthy was a computer and cognitive scientist at Stanford University. And in the 50s, he organized the Dartmouth Workshop, a pioneering event that brought together researchers from a variety of disciplines to discuss the possibility of creating machines capable of simulating human intelligence. So, this event marked the establishment of AI as a distinct field of study and research, setting the stage for further developments in the years to follow, up until today, really. Right. And of course, many of our listeners will have heard of Turing. Alan Turing was an English mathematician and computer scientist, and he played a pivotal role in the invention and conceptualization of artificial intelligence, AI. He passed away in 1954, and he is arguably best known for his code-breaking work, which helped the Allies win World War. But his other most significant contribution was the introduction of the concept of what was called universal machine, now known as the Turing machine, and he came up with the Turing test. Yep, I was about to ask you about that. The Turing test, I mean. Tell us a bit more, please. Sure thing. It is pretty straightforward. Imagine you're chatting with two different people. One is a real human, and the other is a computer pretending to be human. If you can't tell which one is the computer, because both seem like real people. Then the computer has passed the Turing test. It's like a test to see if a computer can talk and act so much like a person that you can't tell the difference. Okay, I get it. Makes sense. Yeah, and a little fun fact thrown in about Alan Turing. The 50-pound note in the UK features his portrait. Well, that is the new one, I mean. The one that was released in 2021, I believe. And the release date coincides with what would have been his birthday. I thought you might be interested in that. Absolutely. I didn't know that at all. Well, I also haven't been to the UK lately. And 2021 would have been right in the middle of COVID anyway. Let's see. Where were we? Ah, uh, yes. AI is old. So let's go a little deeper, Rosie. What were the early goals that researchers had in mind? What fascinated people like Turing McCarthy or Marvin Minsky, who was the co-founder of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology's AI laboratory, or Alan Newell, who was known for his work on computer chess and symbolic reasoning? What was it that these guys found so fascinating? Look, I think it is safe to say that at the core of the individuals you mentioned, there must have been a shared fascination with the possibilities of replicating human intelligence through machines. And yes, the desire to solve complex problems through computational means. I mean, they all were pretty clever, Nobel Prize winners included. So I don't think they were just lazy. Um, no, there were several driving factors that contributed to their passion for AI development. There is no doubt. Many of these guys were driven by a deep intellectual curiosity 
about the nature of human cognition and the potential for machines to exhibit similar cognitive abilities. I believe. They saw AI as an avenue to explore questions about thought, reasoning, learning, and creativity. Pretty much spot on. And let's not forget, many of the early researchers believed that AI had the potential to transform society by automating laborious tasks, aiding in decision-making, and improving various industries such as healthcare, finance, and transportation. They clearly didn't think we would just use it to make more cat photos in all sorts of combinations, not to mention social media bots, spamming the web with useless material. Anyway, I digress. I also think they liked the challenge of creating machines that could perform tasks considered exclusive to human intelligence. Imagine the prospect of innovating new algorithms, programming languages, and approaches to problem solving. How incredibly exciting that must have been. Let's see where it takes us. On that note, Rosie, tell us what's next to come. You know stuff. Oh, dot, dot, com, E on Lars. You know I like cats. By the way, didn't you just get a new, a four-legged family member? Oh, yes. We've had Bruno already for 10 months, and he is going to be turning one year in a couple of weeks. Bruno is a golden retriever, and still a thoroughly joyful puppy. Quite a huge puppy, I have to say. And he is almost 40 kilograms, and I believe he will keep on growing another 8 or 12 months, so... Yep, he is going to be big and fluffy. I just love him. He is amazing. Not sure you knew, but I actually prepare these podcasts when I walk with him. We tend to walk an hour in the morning on the beach and another hour around the neighborhood in the late afternoon. So I started voice recording my thoughts and ideas for this podcast and the other work I do. It is super helpful and it is quite extraordinary what you can do with an AI natural language tool. Anyway, tell me, Rosie, how would you best describe AI to an absolute beginner? What's the best way for someone to understand what AI is? How machine learning fits in there? Deep learning? Oh, and not to forget the latest hype generative AI. I mean, how do you explain this in simple terms, Rosie? Bruno sounds like a really cool dog, but, you know, once a cat lover, always a cat lover. Okay, artificial intelligence. Let me have a go. AI is a broad field that encompasses many different ideas and approaches to creating intelligent machines. One of the most promising approaches to AI is machine learning, or ML. So ML, in simple terms is a way for machines to learn from data without being explicitly programmed. ML algorithms are trained on large data sets of labeled data. The labels tell the algorithm what the output should be for a given input. So for example, an ML algorithm could be trained on a data set of images of cats and dogs. The labels would tell the algorithm that an image with a cat should be labeled cat and an image with a dog in it should be labeled dog. So then, once an ML algorithm is trained, it can basically be used to make predictions on new data. For example, the cat-dog classifier could be used to predict whether a new image is a cat or a dog. Deep learning, on the other hand, is a subset of machine learning that uses artificial neural networks to learn from data. Okay, stick with me here. Neural networks are inspired by the human brain and are made up of many interconnected nodes. And each of these nodes performs a simple calculation and then presto, the output of each node is passed on to the next node. 
What's special about deep learning algorithms is that they can learn from much larger data sets than traditional machine learning algorithms. This is because deep learning algorithms can learn to represent the data at a more abstract level. Let me think. Take, for example, a deep learning algorithm that can learn to represent an image of a cat as a collection of features, such as the shape of its ears, the color of its fur, and the position of its eyes. So that's what makes deep learning so special, the ability to abstract from large data sets. So let's then move on to generative AI, gene AI in short. Gene AI is currently hyped up a bit because ChatGPT is a gene AI tool. It is a type of AI that uses deep learning techniques to generate new content, such as images, music, and text. And I admit, at first glance, it is pretty spectacular what it can do. But it's actually not so special. You see, Gen AI algorithms are trained on large datasets of existing content. The algorithms learn to identify the patterns and relationships in the data, and then they can use these patterns to generate new content that is similar to the data they were trained on. Pretty clever stuff, don't you think? So, a generative AI algorithm can be trained on a data set of images of cats. The algorithm learns to identify the features that make up a cat, such as its shape, color, and fur pattern. The algorithm then uses this knowledge to generate new images of cats that are realistic and varied. So let me sum this up. AI, machine learning, deep learning, and generative AI are all related to each other. You could say AI is the umbrella term for all of these technologies. Machine learning is a way for machines to learn from data without being explicitly programmed. And deep learning is a subset of machine learning that uses artificial neural networks to learn from data. And generative AI is a type of deep learning that uses deep learning techniques to generate new content. And of course, everything is still under development, but honestly, there is immense potential to revolutionize many industries. Machine learning is already being used to improve the accuracy of medical diagnoses. Deep learning is being used to support self-driving cars. And generative AI is being used to create new forms of art and entertainment. If you like the art, is of course completely up to you. What do you humans say? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yes, it is. And you really love your cats, don't you? Either way, that was a great explanation. Still. I wanted to add something about supervised and unsupervised learning. It always comes up in my workshops for SMEs. But before I do that, I have a little surprise advert for those listeners who work in SMEs and would like to know more about how they can use AI in their workplace. Listen to this. An honest and open look at the world of AI. Everything you need to know. A live online workshop with Lars Janowski tailored specifically to your company. AI is reshaping industries, an undeniable reality. But in the face of swift progress, understanding the basics of AI and how it actually works can feel overwhelming. Lars's no-nonsense live online workshop addresses this uncertainty for SME leaders and employees. In a private, confidential online setting, Lars will unravel the intricacies of AI and answer all your questions. And do you know what's the best thing? 
The workshop is customized for your organization. So, go ahead and book an informal discovery session with Lars via the link in the description. Exactly. So please reach out if you are interested in one of my workshops. I run them in English and German. It's not only learning, it's also fun. And I'll promise you, you get immense value and have a much clearer picture of what's happening in AI and how you can use it in your organization. Okay, let's get back to supervised and unsupervised learning before we come to an end with today's podcast episode. I wanted to mention supervised and unsupervised learning as it is one of the topics that comes up in my workshops a lot. And I believe it is important to understand these concepts when it comes to machine learning. So, Rosie already explained the concept of labeled data, which is basically the basis of supervised learning, which means that you know the output for each input. For example, if you have Rosie's data set of images of cats and dogs, you would know which images are cats and which images are dogs through labeling. Unsupervised learning, on the other hand, is used when you don't have labeled data, and it is often used for tasks such as clustering. For example, clustering is the task of grouping data points together based on their similarities. It is used to cluster the images of animals into different groups. So you have your cats, dogs, and birds, for example. And the goal of the clustering is to find groups of data points that are as similar to each other as possible, and, of course, as different from other groups as possible. Supervised learning is generally considered to be more difficult to achieve than unsupervised learning. This is because supervised learning requires labeled data, which means that you need to know the output for each input, and labeled data can be difficult and time-consuming to collect, especially if you are working with a large data set of images, for example. So naturally, unsupervised learning, on the other hand, does not require labeled data, which makes it easier to collect data but then the output can be more difficult to interpret and understand. That's because unsupervised learning algorithms do not have a specific goal to achieve, such as classifying images or predicting values. Let me give you a few examples. Supervised learning is used to train spam filters to identify spam emails, or it is used to train recommender systems to recommend products or services to customers on websites. Unsupervised learning is used to cluster customer data to identify customer segments, or to detect anomalies in data, such as fraudulent transactions or credit card fraud. I guess a good way to remember this is, labeled data is supervised learning to support input-output functions, and clustered data is unsupervised learning to detect patterns and segments for further analysis. That's a pretty sweet explanation, Lars. Love it! Thanks, Rosie. This also brings us to the end of this first full-length episode and I hope you enjoyed it. I haven't really made my mind up just yet as to what the topic is going to be for the next podcast, but what I can tell you is that the next podcast episode will be two weeks from now, because I think that is a good frequency for podcasts, and I'm toying with the idea of talking about the energy consumption of artificial intelligence algorithms. That's something that has been bugging me for a while, so I'll do some research with Rosie's help, and then share with you in the next episode. As we wrap up this episode of Humane Observations, Rosie and I want to extend a heartfelt thank you for joining us on this AI-powered adventure. Your curiosity fuels our discussions, and your support keeps us going. 
Remember, the future is unfolding at the intersection of humanity and technology, and you're right here with us exploring the possibilities. Stay curious, stay inspired, and keep observing the ever-evolving landscape of AI in business and beyond. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep innovating and keep observing. This is Lars and Rosie, signing off.